what may have been our birthright of being able to eat fantastic Port Phillip Bay scallops or calamari or whatever has just come out of the bay. That, that's lost. And I think that that um, needs to be reconsidered. Today on Daddy Linen, we are sticking with the big, wet, frothy topic of Port Phillip Bay. And we are talking to a man who has a feel and a passion for the seafood in the bay. Almost unlike anybody else that I know, uh, Chef Michael Bakash from Bakash Restaurant uh, is the most incredible seafood cook. I will never forget the time, uh, the way he told me that he cooks flounder such that it continues or it finishes cooking as it is ferried to a table by a waiter. Just that precision and that care for the product is exquisite. Michael, welcome to Dirty Linen. Thanks for having me. Uh, let's um, just give a little bit of a backgrounder on you and seafood and Port Phillip Bay. How big a part has this bay and its seafood played in your life? Well, we used to holiday at Mount Martha and we've got a boat shed. So we've been, holidays were always synonymous with uh, fishing, collecting mussels, uh, time by the bay. So, um, yeah, I suppose one of the things is, is that um, some chefs actually know what fish looks like when it comes out of the water and some chefs only get it when it's been delivered to them via fishmonger and irrespective of how fresh the fish is delivered from a fishmonger, it just ain't the same. So I suppose if you grow up fishing, you have an innate um, understanding or appreciation of seafood as it should be. Um, and... They're, they're, I mean, it's uh, unlike lots of other proteins. I mean, you buy meat cryvac, the longer it stays in the bag, sometimes the better it gets. But, you know, irrespective of what anybody says, the uh, closer to being caught seafood is, then the better it is. And there's no, um, you know, you can argue with that. People say that fish should be... Um, uh, left to get out of rigor mortis. They say that it should be aged. Some people dry age it. That's just a whole lot of codswallop, in my opinion. What are some of the species that you've enjoyed catching and eating from Port Phillip Bay? Well, primarily we started catching flathead and then garfish and then whiting, and then we eventually um, worked out how to catch snapper. So uh, I think I think snapper is sort of like the benchmark of what you catch in Port Phillip Bay. I'm sure we've had a couple of kingfish on the line at one time or another because the, the reels just went ballistic, but we weren't um, equipped to get them into the boat. Um, but, yeah, and, and fishing for garfish is just one of the most amazing things on a beautiful calm day with the fish jumping out of the water and the way they glisten and the blue um, almost phosphorus look to them when they come out of the water is just fantastic so i think uh, i think garfish fishing is my favorite form of fishing and what's what do you then love to do with the garfish look uh, i think all anybody can do with fish is stuff it up um so the more you do to it the, the, the more you're trying to Im, uh, impart yourself onto the fish. I, we, we sort of, I don't know whether it's my Lebanese background or just the way my father taught me to cook fish and how to appreciate different fish for what they are, but we try to do as little as we possibly can to it so that we, we can actually tell what we're, what we're eating 
you know, apart from the shape and the uh, uh, and all that sort of stuff. I mean, garfish tastes different to rock flathead, tastes different to whiting. So, you know, we would in in the boat shed where we used to cook a lot of the fish. It was it would simply be put the fish into a um, a bowl after it had been cleaned. Put some flour in there, put some egg in there, put some salt and pepper in there, pour a can of beer in there, swish it around until it turned into a batter, and then fry it off in olive oil on a Bunsen burner or whatever it was that we were cooking it on, and, and it was that delicious. And that would be like, you know, three or four hours after we'd taken it out of the water. So that's that's fresh fish at its best. That um, beer batter recipe that. Um, I, I saw you make that fish in Mount Martha exactly as you as exactly as you say, and I still use that recipe. It's just golden; it never fails. It's yeah, it's just it's it's just simple, isn't it? It's just um, it's all about the fish, I suppose. That's that's what it is. It's all about the fish, and I mean, I, I, I suppose you know, there's two things that you can do as a chef: you can impart yourself onto the dish, or you can do whatever you can to make sure that the dish is about the product and that's the way I like to cook to make sure it's about what, what you're cooking with not um, anything else Why do you need to graduate up to snapper as a complete fishing ignoramus is it just because you have to go to out further is it because it's harder to catch like you need a special bait like why is it harder to get Oh well they're bigger and more fun and they take a lot more patience I mean if you were to if you if you were to go out in Port Phillip Bay with any old equipment you could always catch a flathead. I mean, we used to go out with no bait back in the days when we smoked and we'd put a cigarette butt on a hook and we'd catch a flathead and we'd cut the flathead up into, yeah, we'd cut the flathead up into little pieces um, and suspend them from a little um, float and catch garfish. And then we'd put garfish on a hook to catch snapper. So, um, and we could do all of that on the one spot so that's that's just and snapper fishing takes patience it takes you know you got to go to the well not necessarily go to the right spots but it takes it takes patience and it takes the right equipment and you know we hadn't caught me me and my friend Gary Theodore we used to go out fishing and we'd caught lots of flathead and lots of stuff and that's when we used to go out fishing with our parents who were not patient but we decided that we were going to go after snapper so we um, bought all the equipment and went specifically fishing for, for snapper, which is instead of just catching flathead, which is a smaller piece of bait and all this sort of stuff, and you just, it's more instantaneous. Um, snapper fishing is more um, more targeted um, form of fishing. And, I mean, the way you speak about that sort of fishing and cooking on the beach, like it's so immediate, it's so direct, and of course the fish is incredibly fresh. Um, what are some of the frustrations and perhaps the joys that you've um, that you have cooking fish in a restaurant? Well, well I'm, I mean, I've been doing this for a long time. I can't believe how long I've been doing it for, to be perfectly honest. But I still have these moments where I think to myself. The person who's eating this is lucky, and and, and some, sometimes I mean we still get calamari occasionally that's still changing colour. Um, we often get whiting that's in rigor mortis because it's still caught uh, by a few fishermen in Port Phillip Bay. Uh, sardines we still get that are 
still in rigor mortis and you can just rip the flesh off the bone and squeeze lemon juice and olive oil over it and eat it when it's and as a form of sashimi it's better than tuna so we still we still can get stuff that makes me excited to cook um but you know like i was saying before that, that, that there's one thing about fish and the sooner you cook it after you've caught it then the better it is and i just don't see how anybody can um you know how, how there, there is an argument against that um and when they close the bay um completely that just adds days to the trip even if it was just coming out of somewhere as local as um, as Lake's entrance, the fi- the fish has got to be caught, and then it's got to go somewhere where it's waiting for a truck because a truck's not going to come from Lake's entrance to Melbourne with one tub of fish. It's going to wait for enough fish, and whether or not it's waiting for one day or two days or whatever. I mean, even even at its best, it's still it's still waiting for a day and then it's waiting, it's getting to the fish market and then um, depending on what time that happens, it might get, you know, it might get there for the next day. Um, it might have been held up waiting for other fish to arrive before they decided to get to, to put it all on the truck. So, I mean, it's, there is a big difference between that logistically and uh, a fisherman going out in Port Phillip Bay and catching garfish, sardines or snapper and just um, putting his boat on the back of the trailer and driving the whole shebang into the fish market and unloading his fish. I mean, that fish fish in Melbourne used to be that fresh. Fish in Melbourne will, after they close the bay, will never, ever be that fresh again. And that's really devastating so uh, as i understand it sardine fishing the net fishing is going completely there will still be some line fishing so snapper and to a lesser extent garfish calamari will still be available is but the quotas will be reduced so the catch limits will be reduced do you anticipate that having a big impact on what you're able to source for the restaurant to feed to Victorian restaurant goers? Oh, it, it, it already has. Um, so there's, there's significantly less um, fish of, of that quality around. Um, I'm not too sure um, how economically viable it is going to be for people to line catch um, whiting and calamari and garfish it's just it's just not going to be possible um because you you know you don't you don't long line for those sorts of fish you can long line for snapper but those sorts of fish are sort of um are not caught on a long line so it's in this you catch one or two at a time so um you know whilst we still might get a little bit of fish coming out of Port Phillip Bay, and I'm talking about a very small amount of fish, it probably won't be enough for people to make a living out of, and so therefore it will probably disappear completely. So it's um, the regulation, although it's still permitted, it'll strangle the viability of those um, businesses? Oh, look, I, 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 I think so. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the 
see the interesting thing about um, about what they talk about with um, sustainable fishing is that most most of the fishing that's done in, a, in an inlet is a sustainable form of fishing. The, the thing that was doing damage to Port Phillip Bay was when they were opening up Port Phillip Bay and every scallop boat in the southern part of Australia would be in Port Phillip Bay and they'd be going up and down like, you know, it, just just churning up the bottom of the bay. Um, what, they, what they should have done is they should have severely reduced the number of licences or, or, or left, left a couple of licences so we could do a little bit of scallop fishing. Um, because I'm not too sure that the commercial fishing via nets was actually doing any damage to the habitat. Um, I, I think the damage to the habitat was being done by um, the scallop boats and the kind of nets, the way they the way they catch fish in inshore reefs and stuff like that. That they can't capture such incredibly large amounts of fish that it damages the the uh, species because it's, you know, the, the, the nets are small, it's in shallow water. I mean, sure, they catch a reasonable amount of fish, but they're never going to make a species extinct in an area. I mean, I suppose if, there's a, if there was unlimited licences and, you know, there was, there was too much fishing going on, then that would be possible, but... You know, I've heard commercial fishermen say that there is significantly, even at its peak, there was significantly more snapper being caught by um, amateur fishermen than um, professional fishermen. And, and the other, th so just one other thing, the other thing was is that whilst the professional fishermen were out there licensed and being um, regulated the way they were, that they were kind of like the gatekeepers of the, of the bay. They were looking after the bay. They were look, they were fishing ethically. They were doing all the right things. Whereas there, there, there's a there's a feeling that you know until recently when they really cracked down on amateur fishermen, amateur fishermen were not paying any attention to bag limits. They were catching fish, selling it, and all sorts of stuff. So there was you know significantly more um, impact on the fish levels in Port Phillip Bay from amateur fishermen than, than there was from commercial fishermen, maybe apart from scallop fishing. Yeah. Well, as I understand it, Michael, the, the, the reduction and the banning of fishing was never really to do with sustainability, or the, you know, that there was a healthy catch. It was to do with the amenity of the recreational fishers. Um that they didn't want to, you know, go out in their tinny and find that there was a commercial fisher, you know, where they wanted to be. And I think the government policy around that is quite explicit about that, 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 the, that the commercial fishing in Port Phillip Bay has been, you know, one, banned and two, reduced uh, because they want to promote wreck fishing. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think there's anyone that's been arguing that those species are endangered. No, and and I mean the interesting thing is, and I mean I, I I'm not completely against um, tightening up the regulations and all that sort of stuff. I mean the, the the guy that I used to go fishing with the most uh, when I was younger, I, I keep meaning I'm due to go fishing with him him again soon. But he said that fishing for fishing in Port Phillip Bay has never been easier. They they he just goes out and catches so much fish. 
you know, where, whereas we used to go out and we used to pick up the anchor, move spot, pick up the anchor, move spot, blah, 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 blah. He said the amount of fish in Port Phillip Bay is phenomenal now. So, I mean, maybe there's a bit of time for some rethinking and to allow a limited number of licences in just so that we, we, you know, the people who don't fish do have access to that incredible um, resource that we have out there because it's such a shame that, uh, you know, I'm sitting in my restaurant in South Yarra and if I was a crow and I flew 10, you know, for 10 minutes out to the middle of Port Phillip Bay, there would be that much fresh fish there, but we're not allowed to buy it or sell it. You mentioned, you know, this the joy that you still get from serving a plate of seafood to a customer and just thinking that they're so lucky to have it. I mean, the, the, the thought that that joy will be, yeah, diminished, that, that makes me really sad, you know, for you as a chef and for me as a diner. Um, look, when I used to do cooking classes, people always used to ask me, you know, how do you tell whether a fish is fresh? And my standard line was to walk into a fish, into a pet shop and put your hand into the goldfish tank and take a fish out and put it on the counter and it would be flapping around, its eyes would be bulging, it would be shiny, it would be – and it's the complete opposite of what a fish looks like when it's sitting in – well, some fish looks like when it's sitting in a, in a fish shop. It looks like it's been dead for days. Um, so, you know, the, the, and there is, there is a mile of difference between fish that has just come out of the water and fish that is days old. I mean, it is just a shame to consider them. But 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 a lot of, and I think the thing is, I mean, we have we have we we always have people who say that they don't they don't like fish, they don't like fish, and then they come here and they have something that we think's special on the day, and they just thought that they they didn't know fish tasted like that. So I think it's just um, you know when people say that they don't like fish, I just think it's. Just growing up, never having had good fish, because I just don't know how you could find fish offensive in any way, shape or form. It's just so clean and so beautiful to eat. Yeah, it's such a privilege to have beautiful, fresh fish. So what about sardines, Michael? Like we know that, you know, we we still might be able to get a bit of snapper and a a bit of flathead and a bit of this and a bit of that, but sardines, that's gone um, from the start of April from Port Phillip Bay. Yeah, there's still – we've got some in the fridge at the moment that we bought this morning, so they're they're still around. Um, They're around for a couple of weeks, like till the start of April. Um, Will you bother buying sardines from – South Australia from, you know, from other places that you can get them? Well, I, I don't know what um, what the commercial viability of running the restaurant will be like when all those species dry up completely. But every time, every time I venture into buying a Western Australian or a South Australian sardine, they arrive in the restaurant and I just throw them out. Um, when we had toofies, we used to buy sardines every day. We used to clean them and at the end of the day, we used to throw them out. They are so high in oil content through the flesh and, there's, and because they're so small, the flesh is never far away from the guts and so therefore... Um, they sour, oh, I use the word sour, but they spoil very easily. Um, and that's not to say that they're not 
edible after a day or two. It's just that they're not the amazingly brilliant things that they are um, when they come out of the water. And I remember, you know, some 25 years ago, um, I was talking to Stephanie Alexander and she said she didn't like sardines. She didn't know why people ate them, blah, 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 blah. And I said, next time I get some good sardines, you know, I'm going to get the fishmonger to send you some. And this is, you know, someone who apparently, no, well, not apparently, I shouldn't say that. I love Stephanie and she is absolutely amazing, but it just goes to show you can't know everything. We got some great sardines in and I said to the fishmonger, I said to, could have been the, could have been canals at that stage. Um, I said to them, can you send a couple of kilo of these to Stephanie's? And that's when she was in the mansion in Hawthorne. And, and she rang me up and she said, I never knew they were that good. That's amazing. It's, it's like a good sardine is amazing. Uh, one that's a couple of days old is cat food. And, and, and you can still prep it up and you can still eat it and, you, and I still see West Australian sardine fillets. And it's like, sure, it's, it's, it's a way of making money to get a sardine and to fillet it and to send it across the country in a polystyrene little tray with shrink wrap over the top of it and everything's great until you open it. And even then, everything's great because you put it on the menu and it says West Australian sardines and all this sort of stuff. But it is just an abomination compared to a fresh sardine. But but it's you know if you've if uh, I, I don't know how to compare it. If you've never had a fresh sardine, then you probably think all sardines are these really cat food like little fish things that taste really strong, and you wonder why people would eat them. But this notion of you, like, you know, pulling the flesh off the bone and just eating it with a squeeze of lemon raw, like, I just, I've never done that. I love, I love that that is possible. And I'm also simultaneously devastated that I won't be able to do that. Uh, well, you know, it's, it's, it's one of the skills that, that chefs learn when they come into our kitchen. They learn how to open oysters um, and they learn how to clean calamari. And I, and I always tell them that I, I've been honing these skills. I'm 60 and I've been honing these skills pretty much since I started my, you know, started cooking ages ago. And I've got the processes pretty much right about 15 years ago. So please, when I show you how to do something, don't think you can, Im you can improve it because I've spent years improving it so the idea of getting a sardine and you cut the head off with the scissors and you cut the belly out with the scissors and then you cut you cut that you then you put the trunk straight into ice water um, with more ice than water and then you use the ice and the water to almost scale them the scales come off sardines pretty easily um, you make sure that you never put them in the fridge uncovered because the dry air of the fridge will make the, the scales stick onto the sardine. Um, and then you pretty much just take the scales off with your fingers and then you do it. You, you, I mean, I can make a sardine, I can fill it a sardine with my fingers that makes it look like it's been done with the sharpest knife that, you, that you've ever seen. I mean, they come out perfectly and... The, start, the staff in the kitchen get a real thrill out of learning this technique because 
you know, one minute you've got two kilo of sardines and then half an hour later you've got a plate in the cool room that's got glad wrap taut, you know, pulled tight across it so it's like a drum. We fold up a little bit of absorbent paper and put that in the middle of the of the plate and then we line up the sardine fillets with the tail sitting on the absorbent paper so that through the course of the day if any moisture comes out of them and they don't sit in that, it goes into the tail and there's this plate of bright red, beautiful sardines waiting to get um, floured and beer battered to go on. Well, we do, we've been doing it with Baba Ganoush and calling it sardine sahli for God knows how long because it's the town in Lebanon that my dad came from. So it got it got that name, but it was just deep fried sardines with my mum's Baba Ganoush. So it was pretty simple. But when we did it 30 years ago, it seemed to strike a chord with quite a few food writers. They thought I was very creative, but it was just two two peasanty things chucked together on a plate in a flesh looking restaurant. But they were beautiful. Those bloody food writers, you can yeah. you can pull the wool over their eyes pretty easily. Oh uh, yes you yes, yes you can, Danny. You can pull the wool over food writers' eyes. It's been going on for quite a while, I think. <laughs> uh, that aside, um what I just Apart from wanting to eat that right now, what I love and also lament is the skills that you are teaching these chefs, which if there are no beautiful sardines to do that to, then those skills are gone as well. Um, it's certainly, and, you know, if the if the fishes aren't there, you know, having a viable commercial catch, then their skills are lost as well. And as much as, you know, we can hope for the regulations to ease or turn around or be rethought, uh, you can't make people get on the water um so it's just it just uh yeah it just makes me feel really sad about the things that we perhaps don't consider that we lose when um when rules change in silly ways oh look i mean i used to think about that skill thing as well but you know i suppose i value a certain set of skills and i I, you know i don't give enough value to the skills of the young chefs now so um, you know, it's it's yeah, it, it's a moving feast. I think uh, you know, like we might. I, I see chefs do stuff, and I think, God, that's clever. Um, well, one of the, one of the things that I don't understand is that you know, food, food way too much food gets cryvacked. Um, and I'm not I'm not just talking about from a cooking point of view. I mean, to to, to reheat something in a cryvac is actually a pretty good idea, but. The way the way I can't understand cryvac muscles when you buy muscles and they're in a cryvac. I mean that just does my head in because it's it's almost like your the freshness of them is being hidden from you. So um, you know I'm, I'm, I still like to um, see and smell the stuff without it being cryvac before we purchase it. So I, I I don't don't understand cryvac muscles. Well, I guess I mean. The, with on the skills thing, it's like sure people can have new skills and think of new clever things, but it's but to, it doesn't mean that you know one skill doesn't need to be um, put out to pasture just because a new skill comes in the front door. Um, so yeah. Anyway, um, I yeah love hearing you talk about seafood. Um, I really it makes me yeah 
really annoyed that you, as you say, you know, you, you're so close to the bay and you will be uh, less able to serve fish from it. Um, is there anything else, Michael, that you'd like to say as we, as we finish up? Um, well, I don't know. I make, I make, I make it sound like it's all doom and gloom it's, and, and it's not. Um, because when, when I started cooking, you know, there was the, the transport systems and all that sort of stuff weren't in place like they are now. So there's still lots of stuff that is available. I suppose it's the the top few percent, the, the sort of really stunningly fresh local stuff um, that, that we're missing out on. Um, but, you know, we're getting great tuna, great this, great that from different parts of the country. Um, so, you know... All is not lost from a commercial or from a seafood-loving thing, but what, what is lost is, um, you know, what, what may have been our birthright of being able to eat fantastic Port Phillip Bay scallops or calamari or whatever has just come out of the bay. That, that's lost, and I think that that um, needs to be reconsidered. And whilst maybe they shouldn't reopen the bay to everybody, I think that there is a lot to be said for having a few licences issued so that some fish can be caught for the people who are prepared. I mean, and it would be expensive, but for the people that are prepared to pay for it, you know, we, we should have access to that resource. Yeah, I agree. Well, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and experience and <laughs> and making me nervous about what wool's been pulled over my eyes. It's always great to have a chat. Thank, thanks so much, Michael. Not a problem. Thanks, Danny. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you.